What's up, guys? So today we have Anthony DeVito on, very funny comedian, and uh, we talk about Chris Rock, uh, basically in the 90s, and uh, I think it was a great episode, but at the end, uh, we're having some technical difficulties, and Anthony's mic started to crap out a little, so uh, my apologies for that, but uh, stick through it. Uh, I thought it was a very good episode despite that, and uh, I don't think it was for too long, but uh, I just wanted to you know, send my condolences, my uh, deepest apologies, and I wanted to make sure, because I wasn't sure if it got cut off, uh, I wanted to make sure you guys know to go see Anthony DeVito. He's uh, going to be in the Boston area from uh, January 26th to 29th. The 26th, he is at Laugh Boston doing his one-man show. Um, in Worcester on the 27th, he'll be doing the same thing. So uh, if you if you Worcester's a closer drive for you, check him out in Worcester uh, or here in Boston at Laugh Boston. And then the 28th and 29th, he's going to be in Foxborough. Uh, just doing straight stand-up. So if uh, I would recommend seeing both, I'd go to Laugh Boston and then uh, to Foxborough on the weekend. But uh, if you're just looking for stand-up, check them out at the comedy scene in Foxborough on uh, the 28th and 29th of January. And uh, make sure you go to patreon.com slash blindmike. That's where you can support this program and get it a week early. Um, so thanks, guys. Enjoy the episode. You know, I'm going to give you a history lesson. We got some dumbass motherfuckers floating around this country. <laughs> start laughing <laughs> And when I do Start fucking Also y'all did some nasty ass jokes on my ass too Funny jokes and unfunny jokes Come out of the same birth You fucking guys are unbelievable Why are you laughing? Evening everybody, welcome to another episode of Why Are You Laughing? Today I'm pleased to introduce you to Chris Rock from Saturday Night Live To Bigger and Blacker And Great news, everyone. I'm sorry if it sounds a little different today. Uh, Mike, Matt, and Chris all not here. Uh, one brave madman took them all out at once. And uh, so Justin is producing today. And we're graced with the presence of comedian Anthony DeVito. What's going on, Anthony? Yo, man. What's up? Uh, I'm going to switch the mic to the USB mic so I sound better. So. Oh, crystal clear now. Uh, yeah, so I love it. I just realized. I'm good, man. I think I'm going to have a... I'm trying to locate. I think I got something in my teeth, so I'm trying to figure that out right now. Uh, That's good. Well, you're on the right podcast because I would never would have known. No, no, I know, Mike. You're blind as a bat. <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, maybe I think they're just they're just black. They're <laughs> 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 just gray, gray, black teeth now. So, um, but yeah, man, I'm good. You know, well, what's going on? But uh, last time I spoke to you, Anthony Devito, formerly of the Rad Dude Cast, no longer yes. exists. Yeah, man, I had to uh, I just jump ship on those two losers. Um, <laughs> it's yeah, funny now that like I'll listen to Greg Stone's show and it feels almost just like you tried to get rid of Brendan Air because you're on every fucking episode. It sounds like no kidding in that right, Mike, that I'm on every episode. And this guy, I haven't seen a dime <laughs> for that, for my efforts. I haven't Ridiculous. seen not even a shekel or anything. This stingy bastard. He has a kid. Then all of a sudden he's the only man in the universe that needs to pay his rent. <laughs> Notoriously selfish, Greg Stone. Everyone. Oh says. my God, Jesus! The scales are so tipped. That, that guy. That guy's never thinking of a. He's never thought of another person his whole life. So uh, before we before we get into uh, Chris Rock, mm. do you have uh, you're gonna be in Boston soon, right? Yeah, I'll be in um, uh, Laugh Boston doing my um, my dumb one man show on uh, January 26th, and then I'll be at uh, I think Nick's Bar in Worcester on January 27th. Oh, okay, cool. Awesome. Yeah. yeah, so go check out Anthony. Very funny. I saw you at the uh, Comedy Connection a couple of years ago. And very, very funny man. So go check out Anthony. Oh, and, thanks, uh, man. Your, the one-man show is about your dad, right? 
Yes, my dad, who was a famously uh, made man in organized crime family, and I uh, roughly talk about it for 50 minutes, so just so you know what you're getting into. It's funny. I was very. I was telling you, I really liked your the podcast you did with uh, Ari Shafir on Skeptic Thanks. Tank, and I was excited to hear about all the mafia shit. And then it was basically an hour of Ari talking about like political correctness. I was like, I want to hear the mafia shit. Come on, Ari. <laughs> yeah. No. It's 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 weird because I don't know. Um. I mean, I, I don't know. I, we we could just kind of we're talking on that thing, but like, uh, never know what to disclose on a podcast so that when people come to the show, they're like surprised. Right. Um. I have no idea how to do this thing. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, it's, it, it, it's weird. Cause he died when I was a baby. So I don't really have, um, like half of it's kind of me walking, uh, the audience through his marriage to my mom and what that's like, sort of like dating someone like that, finding out about him. And then like the aftermath of that. And then as me finding out about him as I was just going on through life. Uh, so that's kind of the story. It's it's a very it's a crazy unique obviously I've never heard anyone uh, that has that story in comedy, but the other interesting thing I think is like we were talking recently about um you know like Sammy the Bull has a podcast now I've heard yeah it's funny and, man. Uh, Michael Franzese <laughs> like these mobsters yeah dude every time I tell not every time but lots of times when I tell people they're like you gotta check out Sammy the Bull's podcast <laughs> well, well what I was gonna say is it's interesting to hear from your perspective because they taught like that Michael Franzese talks a lot right. about how the mafia like decimated families like there's not yeah. a family that made it out well from yeah. you know the father being in the mafia so I'm actually right. more curious about your perspective rather than listening to a guy who legitimately killed people be like hey subscribe <laughs> to my patreon <laughs> i know it's interesting man yeah people will like it, it's very interesting to the the turn that they make it's like well now he's a podcaster it's it's so strange <laughs> but um yeah no ba I, I i guess the story kind of picks up like i mean you know like the spoiler alert but like yeah the end of the sopranos is like you know you don't know if tony lived or dies it's a right. blackout the you know the um assumption is that he dies uh so my story would kind of be like okay like so let's say that happened like where does the story keep going like what happens to the wife after that what happens to the son after that right um so yeah it's it's uh, it's a lot of that uh because i don't i mean i don't know i really you know i haven't really talked to too many people after shows that have like it's told me a lot about their perception of the performance, but like, um, I, I have had people be like kind of excited that they're like, cause we're going to, people are so fascinated with the genre that like, then they'll come to the show being like, I'm going to hear a bunch of those stories. And you're like, Oh no, man, you're going to kind of hear a widow's tale and <laughs> a sad boy's life. <laughs> um, the comedy equivalent of a, a woman staring out the window thinking, yeah, kind thinking of. about her life. Yeah, it's it's a little disappointing for people that are like came to the show for action. And yeah, I, you know, yeah. I'm trying to have these like revelatory moments. <laughs> well, I think it's I, everyone go uh, check out Laugh. Laugh Boston's a cool location too, so make sure you go down there, check out Anthony Devito when he's here at the end of January. And uh, I reached out to you and said I told you about uh, the podcast we're doing, and yes. wanted to know if you had anyone you were interested in doing. You threw out Chris Rock. So yeah. I'm assuming, and it's funny, when I saw you at the Comedy Connection, I was like clearly a Chris Rock influence. <laughs> <laughs> I get that a lot. My, yeah, my, yeah. my my wardrobe alone, you know? They're like, <laughs> right. man, enough patent leather clothing from this guy. Jesus. <laughs> uh, but I assume, obviously, he was a big influence when you were a kid. Huge, man. I, I think uh, I it's probably him, George Carlin, and David Cross were the three comedians that influenced me the most as a kid. And I know they're all 
very different. Um, yeah. I mean, I, th- I think the commonality probably between all three of them is just like um, skepticism. Uh, that yeah, came and social out, commentary. Yeah. yeah, in different forms. Like David Cross was like skeptical, but then he was more, I guess, like pinpoint. Like it was more, it wasn't broader topics. It was more smaller things that he like really, I mean, he did talk about religion a lot in The Pride is Back, so that's not entirely right. true. But then, you know, George Carlin and Chris Rock, obviously, there's a link there in terms of social commentary. And then, of course, yeah. But it is, I mean, like, you know, I'm joking about you clearly having Chris Rock influence, but when you hear Chris Rock talk about his influences, like, he throws out, like, Woody Allen was a big influence. Totally, man. Chris Rock and shit like that. So it's funny. It's a very, like, and I'm never this guy that throws this out, but it's a very, like, subtly racist thing people do <laughs> it's like when there's a like any black quarterback it's like ah, oh, he's just like michael vick <laughs> it's like, oh not really. sure man yeah no so immediately man. it's like oh chris rock he's just like richard pryor which it's yeah. like in reality there are a lot of other guys he's like you could make more of a comparison to lenny bruce than richard pryor oh 100 percent, man i mean richard pryor was uh you know he had some social commentary but for the most part he was just completely personal and vol- like right. chris rock isn't super duper like tambourine he kind of is a little bit but like he's not really super personal and vulnerable um the only thing is they're both black so yeah yeah people are just like man (laughs) he's just like you know like man this guy's a spitting image he's like red fox (laughs) yeah yeah you're like they couldn't be any more different um but yeah the woody allen influence you were talking about i forgot when bring the pain opens it opens with these uh comedy albums that influenced him uh, yeah. so they like superimposed on the screen is like Richard Pryor, uh, Flip Wilson. Um, and then uh, there is, yeah, Cosby's in there. <laughs> and then, uh, Woody Allen. It's so funny. You're like, yeah, two out of those six guys, um, are, uh, serial rapists. <laughs> <laughs> well, funny, funny thing is, uh, I was listening to, uh, like just pulling clips and shit for today's podcast. Yeah. I was listening to Chris Rock when he was on Marin a few years ago. Sure. And he was telling this story about how, I guess Cosby contacted Chris Rock and because of the content that was in there, like bring the pain is the one with the, the famous N word bit, which I'm sure we'll talk about later. Yeah. But Cosby didn't want to be associated with that and <laughs> told him he wanted the, uh, the album cover out of the special. So it's hilarious wow. to look back and be like, Bill Cosby was embarrassed to be associated with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But he didn't, I mean like Eddie Murphy has that like famous conversation with him in like uh raw or delirious where right. like, Bill Cosby's like denigrating him for the foul language. It's it's just so funny to be like, man, you knew the whole time what you were doing and the gall of you to to try to like um, position yourself as this upstanding citizen, all the while knowing what you're doing on the weekends is mine. Like that takes a certain amount of like disassociation and ego that I can't even fathom. Uh, a person having it was i mean it was ultimately his undoing because that was hannibal burris's bit i mean eventually yeah, totally man. who knows maybe it would have been exposed three years later anyways but like that was hannibal burris's joke totally. like, this guy's a fucking rapist he's telling me to pull <laughs> my pants <laughs> yeah it kind of takes that because i think like the generations that are too close to somebody's greatness won't touch that person because they they mean so much to them you know, like Eddie Murphy right. made fun of him on a special, but like for Hannibal Barris, who's like a few generations removed from um, the impact of Bill Cosby. I mean, obviously legacy, but like the actual living through someone's impact is very different than just kind of like knowing about it. So to be removed from it, it's just like I'm going to clinically approach this from like the guy who's telling me to pick up my pants has <laughs> raped 80 women. <laughs> but yeah. But, uh... 
Yeah, well, speaking of Eddie Murphy, and you had a good idea of rather than like because uh, like when we did we did Rodney Dangerfield and we kind of talked about his whole life, right? But uh, you wanted to focus in on the specifically pretty much like the '90s for Chris Rock, like from SNL yeah. to Bigger and Blacker, which is really when his career was like that's the height of Chris Rock, clearly. Yes. And he went through a lot of you know, I, I don't want to say highs and lows because the lows weren't that low. Yeah, but you forget <laughs> a guy like that did go through a period where uh he was considered a has-been at one point or at least that's how he says he felt totally man yeah i mean like he's someone who was plucked pretty early like super early uh kind of put on snl pretty early like he lorne michaels had told him you're going to be the next eddie murphy i don't know if he was in a single sketch his first year on snl (laughs) and then lorne michaels said to him i was wrong about that (laughs) yeah Uh, yeah so he actually told so he toured with eddie murphy when he was yeah. like 18, 19 yep. years old. Uh, so I think I think Chris Rock started stand-up when he was like 16 or something yeah. crazy. He's one of those super, super young guys that started stand-up. Because I'm, I mean, roll with the new kind of, you know, put him uh, on the map, at least the comedy map a little bit. I'm not, I've, I've heard it a couple times. I'm just not as familiar with it. But um, he, I, I just remember when he got on SNL, it was like a thing. As a kid, I was like, you know, SNL, they did seem older. And, like, I still love Mike Myers and Adam Sandler and, like, David Spade, all those guys. But they didn't seem hip, you know? Right. And then Chris Rock felt hip. He felt cool. Like, he, he would do his weekend update pieces. And I was like, this guy is hilarious. Um, but then they kind of put him in nothing. And, like, you're talking about the lows. Like, yeah, that's, like, one of his, one of his lows is, like, I'm on Saturday Night Live and it's not going well for me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then I had to go to In Living Color and right. it was canceled shortly right, after. Right, right. <laughs> I had to reprise a famous character I did in a movie on In Living Color and it was, yeah, canceled. Um, yeah. So it is, yeah, they weren't necessarily that low, but it was interesting to hear him talk about, um, uh, about SNL because I didn't really realize... Um, I knew he w- wasn't a crazy success on Saturday Night Live, right? But I didn't realize why necessarily. And when he was yeah. talking about it, he kind of discussed how he was pigeonholed. Like he wanted yeah. to be, he wanted to uh, branch out and do a bunch of different characters. But like the the producers on SNL and Lauren Michaels didn't understand most of his characters. Right. And then they, when it was like, oh, oh, you're gonna be the black guy in this sketch. Now yeah. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> and that's all he was getting on air at that yeah. time. I mean, and if you look at what he's, you know, known for on SNL, it's like, uh, to me, it's I'm chilling and the dark side with Nat X. And they're like two very stereotypical black characters. Um, And like when I and he's very funny in both of those, especially I think I think Nat X holds up as like a sketch. I think that's still hilarious. Like the idea of the white man cam who like tries to put him in jail every time. And the fact that like his show is only allowed to be 15 minutes. Cause that's all the man allows him to have. Like right. there are a lot of really funny jokes uh, in that X and I'm chilling has some funny jokes too. It's just like, you look at it now and you go, Oh, he was a hundred percent. Right. You know, where oh, it's like, well, and not only- Justin, we have a, we have a clip of him talking to Marin about it. Want to play that real quick, Justin? I just I wanted to be in an environment where I didn't have to really um, translate the comedy that I wanted to do or be the representative of race on a show that too that too. So, you know, I had these instances where they wanted me to do certain things at SNL. I was like, no, I'm not doing it. Like what? You know, whatever slave sketch or you bangy tribesmen or whatever, where not that they I thought they were racist. I just thought that 
if you're the only black face that's going to be seen for an hour and a half, it just doesn't, you know what I mean? It just, it just, it, there's got to be more for me to do. There's got to be more. There's got to be, <laughs> or, or another black person. Yeah. Right. But, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. So that's pretty much what you were saying, where it's yeah. like, oh, he's the black guy. And it was funny. The The greatest part about, like, if you look back at SNL, it's funny that people weren't more, you know, there's like too way too much outrage that goes on now. Sure. But like back then, there probably wasn't enough. <laughs> no, totally. Because <laughs> sometimes it would be someone that is like, hey, this is just a black person. That's <laughs> yeah. all they have in common. And Chris Rock is now playing them on SNL for some reason. <laughs> Totally. No, it's it's so it's so interesting, uh, especially now with how we view Hollywood and how like they're overreaching for being progressive, uh, in my opinion, in, in yeah. some ways. But like but yeah, they were so behind the ball. It's crazy to be like, this is the same institution, you know, that like but 25 years ago, ask Chris Rock to be a slave in every sketch. And this year they're like, we need to pull any bit of blackface off any show ever. And I think right. a lot of that is due to the fact that they are so embarrassed by their own history. Yeah. That, Overcorrection. I mean, yeah. look at some of the people that are loudest about it, like Sarah Silverman and Jimmy sure. Kimmel. It's like every time they speak up about it, people post them in, <laughs> right, right. you know, quote, blackface. And right, it's, there right. probably is a lot of guilt associated with that, where they're oh, embarrassed I, that they did it or whatever. I'm sure, man. And those are the, just the bits that we know of. You know what I mean? Like, right. I've been in comedy a little bit. It's like... Man, the drafts that are in their folders or like the table read, like I'm sure the amount of times Jimmy Kimmel said the N-word in a table read, he's like, I'll never forgive myself. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? Um, right. But yeah, no, no. Uh, yeah, it was very interesting too. But like, I mean, Rock goes from like uh, SNL to In Living Color, which is basically an all black cast except for Jim Carrey. So just yeah. the complete opposite. Yeah. So uh, he was on SNL from 90 to 93. Um, but he kind of made it known that he wanted to go to live in living color. Yeah. Uh, he felt like that was the cooler show, like the hipper show he and SNL, right. like you just said in that clip, wasn't allowing, uh, a lot of the stuff that he felt was, you know, that fit that sort of in living color vibe. SNL wouldn't allow it on. So, uh, basically he got, uh, not, not written out of the show, but like he stopped getting sketches for a while. Right. And then eventually got effectively fired. Yeah. And he went to In Living Color and it was on for uh, six weeks and then canceled. <laughs> Man, such a shame, too, just because he he would have been so funny within the the confines of that show. Just um, I mean, man, that show was so like, I mean, man, Damon Wayans, Tommy Davidson. And uh, it was incredible what they did. Yeah. It's interesting, though, because when you think about it. Let's say he's amazing on In Living Color. Sure. That's what we know Chris Rock from. Totally. But then we probably never get Bring the Pain or maybe not even Bigger and Blacker, you know? Oh, a hundred. Because uh, he's yeah. not doing stand up as much. I, I wonder about that just because, like, the way his mind works is so particular to stand up. Just right. the way that he sort of, like, takes these, they're not even contrarian. They're just more of, like, oh, everybody's looking to the right. What about this thing on the left? And, like, that's really the the most elemental part of being a stand-up comedian is um having this sort of skewed view and he I, in my opinion I, I don't think there's anyone better um at doing that and then appealing to a broad audience the way chris rock does there's plenty yeah. of people within comedy that have just like like taken this contrarian approach or this just like left of center approach but like i don't think there's anyone that's done so in a way to get a group of people on board that they don't even know why they're on board 
Right. Well, that's why I was thinking of this uh, earlier, too. And we were talking about, like, influences that you wouldn't necessarily see right on the surface. Right. And I don't know how accurate this comparison is because these guys aren't that far apart in age. Sure. But, like, I see a lot of Chris Rock in Bill Burr. Where oh, totally. a lot of Bill Burr's bits are, like, I'm going to say something that you're not going to agree with. Like, society yep. won't agree with. Yeah. And then I'm going to explain to you why you should agree with it. Yeah. And then by the end of it, you're like, oh, fuck, he is right. <laughs> Uh, I, absolutely. It's it's even in the way that they build their jokes. I I also I'm of the mind that I I think Chris Rock is the, the he might be the best writer uh I think ever in stand up. Just in terms of like uh Bear and him do this great job of like just stacking angles on top of angles very quickly and they just they keep shifting perspectives quickly and um but within those perspective shifts their their performances are their performances are for people who the jokes might be too smart for. So their performances are so good they get those people on board with these like hyper intelligent like outside the box ideas. And I think I mean Burr does that so well. And like you're saying, yeah, I think he's like a direct descendant of Chris Rock in that way. Right. Yeah. For I, for sure. And uh, you know, like we were you were saying, like he's so focused on stand up. And I think he realized that. So around 94, he released an album in 91. And yeah. then uh, he, had, he was in New Jack City in 91 also, I believe. And uh, that was critically acclaimed. So, like, he started touring with Eddie Murphy. You know, he had that taste of, uh, like, fame and fortune. He was in. Right. He had a, an acclaimed role in a movie. He was on SNL. Uh, so all of a sudden, Chris Rock, like, while he wasn't crazy famous, he had a little taste of it, you know? Yeah. And so then around 94, uh, 94 is when uh, he got his HBO half hour. And he said, like, around that time is when he started to really feel like it has been. Like, in Living Color failed. Right. SNL, for him, basically failed. And then he realized, like, oh, I haven't been doing stand-up, which is what I want to do. Right. So I he even... worked crazy hard. He had an HBO yeah. half hour. And then eventually, Bring the Pain, which is, I mean, uh, one of the... Insane. Oddly enough, very similar, very similar to Eddie Murphy, actually. Mm, yeah. In that he had two monster specials. Right. Yep. And then after that, you can kind of question, like, you know, were his movies great? Did he, what audience sure. did he appeal to? Whatever. But like, he had a decade run where he was the man in comedy. Dude, those. I mean, I I just watched him, you know, in preparation to do this podcast, like this past week. I haven't seen them, you know, in a long time, and I'm, you know, I'm. They're like twenty something years old at this point. He says, um, especially in Bigger and Blacker, he says, like, they're never going to cure AIDS because there's no money in the cure. They're just going right. to keep get there. Eventually, you're going to be like, ah, my AIDS is acting up. And it's like <laughs> he was that was like, that's was crazy right. that's predictive yeah. then to now. Like, right. you know, he he was often, you know, maybe like there'll never be a black vice president. But like for the most part, it's like, man, to be that forward thinking and that accurate um is incredible no bring the and like to what you're saying like i was trying to just the magnitude of those specials it's like oh they're they're relevant to this day you don't really see that often especially in comedy comedy does not age well um no it, it just won't it, it's it, it's within within the constructs of comedy it's set up to fail in terms of yeah. aging so but Chris Rock, he has some bits where you're like, all right, like we feel we look at men and women a little differently now. But like <laughs> for the most part, like he's he's very dead on about the stuff he was saying, especially social commentary stuff, which is amazing. But um, the magnitude of bring the pain, if I could just talk about that for a second. Yep. Um, so when I grew up, I grew up in North Jersey and there was MTV. And then for a little while, there was this thing called the box. 
Um, and the box was this music channel where you would uh, you would call in. You would say, I want to hear TLC waterfalls. They had like a code. They would okay. play. They would show the code on the screen. You knew it was coming up. I bring the pain. The clip about Marion Barry and OJ was like it was played nonstop on like a music channel. Oh, really? Like this was the biggest. Yeah, I I had never, ever seen that before with comedy where it's like it's. And it wasn't, you know, like, you know, there's been speculation, like, you know, you have like uh, record labels who were ever calling in trying to boost up their own artists. But like at some point, it's people that are calling in. And that meant that, you know, I've never seen comedy sort of rival music as something yeah. people want to see. Um, yeah. And uh, Bring the Pain did that with the with that Marion Barry bit and the OJ bit. And I was like, I, I couldn't I couldn't believe you could um, tell a joke that sort of transcends into you know music yeah that's that's the amazing thing about guys like chris rock and i would put louis in that category yeah and Chappelle now but like when you look at arena act typically right. they are either like family friendly like jim gaffigan where anyone can sure. go see them or whatever and that was kind of like steve martin back in the day sure. or even like you know when day when dane cook was on top Right. It was, you know, like 15-year-old girls that liked him. <laughs> right. He so was like, like the that, Beatles. Like, you're either, yeah, you're attracting that sort of an audience or like Dice where you have kind of right. a gimmick, like the right. nursery rhymes or whatever. Right. Chris, guys like Chris Rock and Louie um, are amazing because they were able to get to that level while being uh, dirty on stage, mm -hmm. having opinions that people won't agree with, like being controversial and still managing to build that sort of an audience. Yeah, I think it goes back to just they were so thoughtful in their ideas and they were thoughtful in a way that I don't think anyone had ever heard before. But the ideas weren't so limited where they weren't accessible to people. So like, you know, we're talking about like the, the black people versus N words bit. It's like, I mean, that that's a bit which I think kind of hasn't aged well um, to some people. Oh, completely to Chris Rock himself. Yeah. But at the time, it was like, man, you see the people erupt in that audience because they're like, I didn't even know I had this thought and you're articulating it. And now I'm so on board because I haven't been able to put a feeling into words and you just did before my eyes. And I think <laughs> yeah. Louis, Louis especially is, in, is incredible at that. Burr, Burr too. I mean, like all those guys, once you're in that like echelon of a way of thinking as a comic, you're just sort of put into that category. Right. But, um, but he, I'm bring the pain. It's like, that's when it was like, Oh yeah, he's starting. He's starting to think on a level that's like, oh, I can make anything. I can make anything I believe funny. And that's really when you see people go from like um, great comic to legendary comic. Yeah. Well, you bring up the uh, black people versus N word bit. And he uh, said, and it's kind of weird because I don't know why he wouldn't do it again anyways, because it was on a special. Of course. But I think it became one of those bits that like people would call for. Yeah. Hey, do the N word bit. Of course. And of course. He, he said he would never do it again. Well, actually, Justin, real quick, I know everyone knows what we're talking about, but just for context, just play the little clip I sent. Now, we got a lot of things, a lot of racism going on in the world right now. Who's more racist, black people or white people? Black people. You know why? Because we hate black people too. <laughs> Everything white people don't like about black people, black people really don't like about black people. <laughs> There's some shit going on with black people right now. It's like a civil war going on with black people. And there's two sides. It's black people and there's niggas. <laughs> and niggas have got to go. Every time black people want to have a good time, it's that ass niggas fuck it up. 
So that obviously, <laughs> that obviously is most his most famous bit, and That's he a- stopped doing it. And he he is actually a hundred percent spot on because I remember as a kid, uh, people like you know like friends of my dad or whatever sure. would I would hear them saying things like, you know. I'm not racist. It's like Chris Rock says. There's two kinds. <laughs> yeah, no, that. Yeah, I don't think it was like. Well, I don't think he foresaw that like Italian uncles were going to be preaching yes. that to the rafters. Yeah, yeah it'd be the rallying cry for Fox News, yeah, basically. Yeah, 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 just reinforcing the idea of one of the good ones. <laughs> yeah. So, like, that's where. That's where comedy, like you said, doesn't necessarily hold up well because now yeah. you can just twist that into being whatever you want with like a you know 2021 right. perspective yeah. rather than what he meant, you know. Oh, totally. And then you got to understand too that's like that was his biggest bit. You know what I mean? Like that oh, was easily, yeah. That was a bit in the way that was people were like, this guy is so forward thinking. So yeah. if you want to like see how comedy doesn't age well, that was super forward thinking 25 years ago. And today yeah. people will be like, I wouldn't go near saying that. Um, no. Yeah. But it even like uh, in interviews, he's talked about where like it hurt him, uh, you know, his, the perception of him in the black community yeah. because it gave white people that excuse. Yes, totally. And even like the excuse to say, it, like, I think it's a funny episode of the office where they have to like tell Michael, he's not allowed to say it basically. For sure. Of course. But that is a very, it's a thing where, people felt very like they could have that opinion now and yes. say it freely and everything. Oh, totally, and I think a man. lot of black, like a lot of his audience was like, Hey Chris, what the fuck are you doing? Oh yeah. He even like says that as he's in the special, he's like a lot of people, you know, you're going to boo, you're going to this, you're going to that. But like, yeah, no, my mom heard that and was like, I've been saying this for years. He's so right. <laughs> yeah, just like, ah, this might not be good. I've heard her. I've heard her say a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> Mom said many things for you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Oh no, his his audience is never leading to be... uh, policy changes. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be all women named Joanne and Angela. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, uh, the other interesting thing, um, and I mean, you can kind of take this from all the specials. And I'm curious your thoughts on this. Have you ever seen him just like um, just being around in New York, where like he works on his act when he comes into like the cellar or the stand or wherever he goes there? Yes. Years ago, I, I, this was actually before I started doing comedy because we I, you know, I live I lived in North Jersey. We would go to the cellar in the summer, like a bunch of friends of us. He dropped in to do uh, an hour at the cellar and he, you know, his like famous process of like not really turning on the performance, just letting the writing speak, speak for itself so he could see what jokes work and don't work. He told a joke. I don't think I've ever seen anyone get this big of a reaction. I've never heard him do it in any specials. He told a joke about how he was in Europe and he was like watching German porn. And he was like, he called German porn a Rodney King beating with dicks. And the place <laughs> erupted. I He's never even put that on anything. I remember that throwaway joke from Chris Rock. Um, but it was cool. It was cool to watch that happen um, and to watch him just go through the writing. Because I, weirdly enough, man, that's how I always saw him. Like the the performance to me felt like he had to do this in order to like sort of survive up there or gain such a big following. Um, and that's not, you know, you should perform the hell out of your jokes and like he does. But it always for me, what stuck with me about him was like, oh, this guy is a writer first and foremost. Like, right. Just well, yeah, this- so that was the interesting thing about his process where I'm, I, w- I want to play two clips real quick just because sure. like. 
I was fascinated by it. First, um, Justin, bring up the uh, clip from Born Suspect. Uh, this is from his first album where he hadn't yes. perfected that like Chris Rock tone yet. Right. And my understanding is like this is kind of what he sounds like when he's just, you know, at the comedy cellar working totally. his shit out. Nicest part of the South for sure, man. It's like the only part of the South you go, like, when I go to, nobody goes, man, I wish you could take me back to New York with you. <laughs> you go to, like, Mississippi motherfuckers be hiding in your car and shit. So, so it's funny to hear him, uh, it's funny to hear that sort of, like, laid back. And then I was very surprised when I heard, like, that's pretty much how he sounds, kind of, where he's just casually talking. Yes. And he's like, uh, you know, because you're so used to, like, but I understand. Like, oh, the, totally, man. Like the impression of Chris Rock, basically, of, that he's doing. Of, of course. I don't think people get um, how hard it is to sell comedy club crowds on ideas, smart ideas that they might not necessarily be on board with. You have to fool them. You're like that part of the job is you're like a salesman and like you're selling what you hold dear, which is like these things that you cultivated and worked on and you believe in. So you want them to get across. It's just a matter of salesmanship. And he figured out how to do that. Um, and I think like people would look at that and go like, this is this is ridiculous. This is over the top. <laughs> He's using this insane voice. But it's like, no, man, you actually have to do that in yeah. order to get these people on board who just kind of came out to see anybody, you know? Yeah. So this is, again, uh, him on Marin talking about like his process of doing that. And I mean, you kind of gave your thoughts, but I'm just curious, like I'm interested in this mentality. Like, it fascinated me when I heard sure. him talking about. Uh, his preparation, everything. So let's hear that real quick. Now let's talk about that. That uh, the the issue of uh, you know Chris Rock running material in a small club versus Chris Rock you know going on stage at uh, at an arena. Because I've seen you go on stage and you almost sleep through some jokes. Like I've seen you with new jokes where you won't put any inflection on them. You'll 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 literally just say them. And in my mind, I think it's just to see the the whether the joke as it is written. Yes, it's like I want to believe work. that the joke without you juicing it will kill no matter what. That this act could be done behind a curtain. Right. <laughs> so you know that you're doing that on purpose. I'm doing yeah. So there's a part of me like so you'll go up there and risk tanking. It's like come on, there's no tanking. It's just I mean, you know, if I go to so I mean that's what I'm curious about is like yeah. I wonder if obviously it's worked for Chris Rock, but I don't know if I totally agree with that in the sense of like, I think his inflection is part of the joke. It is. You know what uh, I mean? Like part of the reason you're laughing is because the way it's delivered. So it's not the same if you're just kind of casually talking through it rather than have, having the same passion you do when you're in, you know, Madison Square Garden. Totally. But you can even if you get if he gets a trickle of laughter, you could go, oh, there's something here. But if you get right. nothing from just like uh, like um, sort of a computer generated uh, speech of the joke, then you're like, there's zero here because it's also this is a really smart thing to do, because like when comics get so big, you have your audience. So they're just going to laugh at anything you do. I think 
um, you know, like you heard Steve Martin talk about that. And I think yeah. when you get to Chris Rock's level and when you're so funny in a unique way as a performer, the crowd's going to go with you on anything. So it's like you almost have to handicap your jokes as much as you can to know if they're actually good, because eventually you can't get a real read on them anymore. Wherever you show up, an audience is like, I'm so excited that you're here. So whatever you're going to say, they're going to buy. Yeah, it's um, not even laughing. They're just cheering like you're exactly. getting a standing ovation before you tell a joke. And how many comics have you seen like, you know, that you can name that got humongous and couldn't escape that fate because it's like, yeah, you get lazy. Of course you do. You're in front of an arena that adores you. Like yeah, you, or not even lazy, but maybe like naive in the sense right. that everyone yeah. in your world is telling you how great that is. Exactly. Like I thought, I mean, Chappelle's probably my favorite comedian ever. Sure. And there were a few jokes in this last special. Uh, I you know I walked out of work. I was so angry at them. But there were <laughs> there were a couple jokes in the closer where I was like, that feels like something everyone has told Chappelle is funny. Yeah. But twenty years ago, I don't think Chappelle would have had that in his act. A hundred percent, man. And, you know? and it's just it's a it's a matter of fame. But I think um taking those measures, whether Chris Rock do that or not, I kind of think is the only way to do it. Because I agree with you. I think that's actually a fair criticism of uh, Chappelle's last special. Just that point alone. Right. Yeah, no, and, and you know, well, Chappelle also got to not to go off on a tangent. Like, he refers to himself as the greatest ever in that special, where it's like, he is, but as a comic, you're not supposed to know that. You know? No, man, you're supposed to be the underdog. You're supposed, right, yeah. You're supposed, to, you're supposed to be this guy that people root for. It's hard to yeah. do that when you're wearing your own brand of clothing. <laughs> See on your chest. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. But also, I mean, like, look, that guy, he's in incredibly funny in a way that is, uh, I don't even think Chris Rock. Like, he's just like, only Richard Pryor to me maybe is as naturally gifted or seemingly so effortless as Chappelle is. Yeah. Oh, well, and well, to bring it back to Chris Rock, I would say he is the one guy that I can think of uh, other than, prob again, to tie it back to Bill Burr. And maybe George Carlin. Sure. Uh, but other than that, like you see these guys, like Eddie Murphy goes off and does movies. Right. Steve Martin goes off and does movies. Chappelle now definitely has an ego on him. Kevin yeah. Hart <laughs> certainly, like, I, I, Kevin Hart is like a brand rather than a stand-up. You oh, know what I mean? So, yeah, he's a production company in a person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but Chris, Chris Rock, Carlin, and Louie are the guys that stand out to me as completely being comics and Seinfeld in a way where I, sure. you know, I, I don't necessarily that. love all of Seinfeld standup, but like he is a comic through and through, you know? Yeah. I think it's a thought process. Um, I, I don't know that I've ever been actually been able to articulate the feeling that I get. You just kind of know when you see it of like, Oh, this guy thinks like a comedian, like his view of the world is just slightly off, but that's the only way he can be. And you, right. and it's just like, Harlan, Louis, Chris Rock, the names you mentioned, they, they have it in its pure form. And I think that's why they're so successful and they're, they're so skilled as comedians is because like they're mentally approaching the world in a way of a stand-up, specifically of a stand-up comedian. Um, so it's like I don't think they could do anything else or they'll not do anything else as um, well just because like it takes so much – I mean – Effort, sure, but just like natural inclination to think that way. And you either kind of have it or you don't. Yeah. 
So, so uh, before we get to bigger and blacker, the thing sure. I forget about, and it seems like like society forgot about this, like it's ve- very underrated, was uh, the Chris Rock show. Oh my God! I'm glad, he so got, glad because, you mentioned because, it. After the success of Bring the Pain, he got the Chris Rock show on HBO, which I always. So I'm I'm a little younger than you. I was born in '91, oh, so, so I have I'm, no real memory right. of the Chris Rock show at all. Oh man, the Chris Rock show was. Uh, un- it won't ever get its due for what it was. Um, the Chris Rock show had a sketch I still think about it all the time. It was so silly, but it was so funny. It was uh, Mario Joyner was trying to hail a cab in New York, and this was at a time where like. It was being brought up how hard it was for black men to get cabs in New York. And he was like, I just don't know. I can't get a cab. But you only saw him from, like, the neck up. And then the camera panned, and he was completely naked. (laughs) And it was very, very silly as a sketch. But the whole thing was this premise that, like, ah, no, man, it's because you're nude in the streets. But he would still be like, it's hard for a black man to get a cab. And I was like, man, that's so, so funny. (laughs) Um, Chris Rock show was great. Yeah, so that's like, uh, and sometimes old sketches from that show pop up. So again, I thought it was like a sketch show. <laughs> I yeah. didn't realize it was like essentially what Bill Maher does on HBO yeah. now, where it was like political commentary and yeah. interviews and that sort of thing, where I find that that would be like the one, um, I don't know the word I'm looking for, but I wish that lasted longer because I'd be so curious to hear Chris Rock in that type of format now, like with everything right. that's going on now in the world. Yeah, it was. Um, it was. I, I would say it was like a, you know, a little bit ahead of its time as like a, a variety uh, show in terms of uh, the commentary that it was trying to make. Some technical difficulties there, but we're back. Hopefully, yeah, my bad. Um, so yeah, I, like to your, we were uh, talking about the Chris Rock show, and it yeah. is like uh, just with the shit that's gone on in the last couple of years. Like I, like we were talking about his social commentary just in Bring the Pain alone, like. I don't know that you think of, like a kid now wouldn't think of Chris Rock as this brilliant, brilliant social commentator, I don't think. And I feel like that's kind of a shame because, you know, you have to hear from everyone on Twitter and shit now, yet we sure. don't get that commentary from a guy like Chris Rock, which is a little unfortunate. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, you know, I can't speak to his personal life or as to why, um, but it is just because he was like, I always saw him as a pretty measured voice even though like you can get you know sort of uh distracted by the like gregarious performance but i actually think the stances he took were like fair i mean they're you know they're they're liberal but they were like fairly conservative stances and they were a little bit like um critical of like areas that you weren't necessarily supposed to be critical of but done in a way that was smart not just hot takey and that's i think what's really lacking from today's stand-up is like that measured voice. Yeah, completely. And I think the reason we probably, well, I, I have no idea, but my guess would be the reason we don't hear it from a guy like Chris Rock as much is because it's not real. No one wants it. Like the networks yeah. don't want that. Oh, totally. you know what I mean? Like Comedy Central is not going to put Chris Rock on to tell the truth. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They, they, um, it's, you know, and I, and I bet what he would say would be grounded and also slightly forward thinking. Uh, right. but they, they go under this assumption that like, the next wave of ideas needs to come in. But lots of times that next wave, they don't really have ideas yet. You know, like, you know, like Chris Rock was pretty young, obviously, when he did Bring the Pain. Um, I think he's like, I, I don't even know if he's 30 at that point. Uh, he was, tw- he was, I think he was exactly 30 because he was okay. 25 when he got on SNL. Okay. But he had been doing stand-up since he was like 16. So he had like cultivated a voice. But also, man, even the way he performs, he says a punchline on Bring the Pain. I forget the punchline. 
but like he literally like he like smacks the mic in a way that like a rapper would like at a show and it was like no he's after something with these jokes like this is this is hunger that's out there um well do you know he i didn't know this until i was uh researching for this episode i guess he had like some sort of not record deal but like he started as a rapper basically Oh, I didn't know that. And made, like, uh, demo tapes and shit. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of his punchlines... I mean, he's very famous for rhyming punchlines that do very, very well. But his performance is, like, it's joyful, but it's also... It's aggressive, for sure. Like, in a way that, like, you don't see too, too often in comedy. Right. You know what's what's funny is... uh, And this is a thing where, like, podcasts have almost started to ruin stand-up because yeah. by breaking down... This show is terrible for stand-up because by, because by breaking it down so much, it almost like dilutes what it is. Uh, I don't, but I heard I don't, Joe List talk about this once on yeah. uh, Tuesdays with Stories where like when he became... When List started opening for Louis, right. uh, Louis obviously is friends with Rock, and Joe List asked Louis, he's like, do you understand? He's, he's, I've been a Chris Rock fan for years, and he has some punchline where he says, uh, for a white man, the sky's the limit. For a black man, the limit's the sky. Yeah. And Joe List goes, that doesn't make any sense. Like, what does he mean by that? So they <laughs> called Chris Rock and asked him about it. And Chris Rock goes, uh, yeah, no, it's just the cadence. Like, the cadence is funny. Yeah, it's just like, that's like a very funny turn of phrase. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, people you, like, go... I, and yeah. it's funny that he picked up on that, because you wouldn't think anything of it. You're like, oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. But to then dissect it, you're like, oh, it doesn't mean anything. It's just funny. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. It's just, it's just funny. Um, but yeah, no, that line gets like the audience erupts from that line. <laughs> yeah. Um, I yeah, for whatever reason, like that's like one of those times where like I think you mentioned him, like you know, his acting or whatever. That's one of those times where I'm like, I think like you don't, I didn't need the words so much as like the attitude kind of sold me on. I right. think what you're trying to say in that turn of phrase. But no, I don't know, man. I think like dissecting stand up like this. You know, it takes a little bit of the fun out, sure, but <laughs> but it does like show you the amount of effort that goes into just like writing a joke, yeah. you know, let alone an hour of them. Well, that was my logic with uh, the reason I wanted to start the show is a obviously because I'm such a big stand-up fan, right. but like there is this type of show breaking down, you know, every other art form, movies, TV, right. music, whatever, and I kind of realized like for whatever reason, stand-up doesn't get that respect like we were like talking about uh, hecklers uh, a right. few weeks ago and just the idea that like you would never go to a play and be like this sucks <laughs> like you would right. never yell out at, right. uh, at any other type of performance so right. it's weird that people feel so comfortable doing it in comedy yeah i think it's because comedy kind of like presents itself in this limbo you know as like you know to us we're like yeah it's art and it's a craft but then it's also like we want to come across as everyman, salt of the earth kind of people. And you're talking to people, you know, like you, it is a monologue, but like you are looking people in the eye and talking to them. It's not like music where you're like, I'm singing a song. You're kind of removed from this. Right. Like you're in with comedy. It's like you're a part of this. You're a part of this every second. Every second that you laugh, you're now a part of this. Like you're moving in unison. And so I think to put yourself in a in another place like. You, you almost can't if you want it to go well. Um, so because of that, like an audience sees comedy um, as this like uh, 
And and the other thing too is like when you do it really well, it's supposed to seem effortless. That's the problem. That's the problem right. with comedy. It's right, like, right, right. man, when you do it well, people go, "I think I could do that." And like, you don't know how much work it took to get to that place for you to believe that you could do it. Right. Uh, so if you had to choose, bring the pain or bigger and blacker. I think um, I was always when I grew up, I was uh, bring the pain. But looking, listening to them uh, since you know, uh, I would pick bigger and blacker. I just think it's like a. Um, it's there as a whole more than I think bring the pain. And I think some of the ideas are more mature and like there's instances where like he can make anything he, he can make whatever he wants to talk about funny on bring the pain, but bigger and blacker, he can pull anything out of the ether and make it funny. It doesn't matter how broad the idea is. Like my, one of my, I think favorite jokes, I don't know if it's like a favorite joke. I'm just like more impressed is on bigger and blacker where he's talking about like the plight of native Americans and how like, Nobody's had it harder than them. And it's like, yeah, everybody knows that. That's just the thought that everybody knows. So I like, I remember watching him being like, how are you going to make this funny? But he makes it funny because of the writing where he goes, I've seen a polar bear ride a tricycle. I've never seen two Native Americans together. And it's like, <laughs> that's so funny. But it's like, you had like, to write the shit out of that. You know what I right. mean? To right. get to like, how how do I just not make this obvious funny? And like I was and like thinking of, is polar bear the right yes, word? Like exactly. the amount of shit he probably tried there. Right. And just like the simple concept of two Native Americans. I was like, that is like a master stroke to me. <laughs> right. Uh well my first uh takeaway and just kind of showing how uh how much things have changed in the last twenty years is uh do you remember when a couple years ago when someone uploaded Louis C.K.'s set he was at like governors in Long oh, Island sure. or something. Yeah, yeah, totally. And they and he, he got in trouble. People attacked him for the the Parkland bit he did. Right. And that was at an illegally recorded <laughs> <laughs> event where he was working on a joke. Chris Rock opened, yeah, for, uh, bigger and blacker with a Columbine joke. Oh, it was man. the first yeah. thing he said when he gets on stage is making fun of Columbine, which just happened. <laughs> yeah, it's, which is why. Yeah. So I think we were just so much more accepting of allowing comedy to to you know make light of tragedy back then yeah but i also i i think the there's a little nuance to that situation where it's like louis was coming off the heels of a, a scandal that tanked his sure. career yeah. and then so he was already being vilified so like the public just wanted another reason to hate him right, and like right. he's up there being like i don't know i think these parkland kids are assholes and they're just like see we told you this guy is a monster but <laughs> right with Chris Rock, it was like, he was almost, I think Bring the Pain kind of, he was looked at as like, this guy is going to intelligently and hilariously tell us about the world. Yes. So for him to open with, I think for him to open with school shooting is probably him being like, hey, what, like, how, how do I get out there the hardest and the most, like, let these people know this is what they're in store for for about an hour. And he also just has that, the, the takeaway that nobody had, which was, he's the best at, here is what was in front of everybody's face. Here's the simplest premise. And um, and I'm just going to show everybody what you guys missed. And just the idea of, like, whatever happened to crazy? Why are we right. overthinking it? And it was just like, right. yeah, man, that's beautiful. That's You're right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and that it was funny because when I was watching it, I was like, and you're probably right about the difference between Bring the Pain and Bigger and Blacker. Because when I was watching... When I was watching Bring the Pain, I was like, this is funny. <laughs> when yeah. I was watching Bigger and Blacker, I was like... Wow. Like I couldn't believe some of the shit he was doing and how well it held up, considering if you go back and watch a special from 25 years ago. Oh. Like even try to tell a kid now yeah. about George Carlin. 
right. or Eddie Murphy. Like, t- right. tell a kid now about Raw. Yeah. I mean, the first track, <laughs> you'll lose them. Dude, bullet control on Bigger and Blacker is the funniest take really? on gun control really? to this day. And that's 25 years ago. And I honestly listen to that bit and go, I don't know why this wouldn't work in real life. I, I, I think that all the time. <laughs> I'm like, Bullets this are is $5,000. A perfect idea. That bit is, I think I, I think that might be, I think it's all time. I think maybe I think the best bit ever. Just because like the concept alone is this brilliant concept. But then he has three separate angles. Like anyone would have just been happy with like, I can't believe I thought of this concept. But then he adds three different perspectives of like, the guy who has to get the bullet back, the guy who, like, bullets have to be on layaway. He has three separate unbelievable angles, which means, like, yeah, he went through probably, like, 15 or 20 of those until he got to those three. Uh, and that's on the heels of this, like, idea that I really think would change the world if implemented <laughs> by Congress. <laughs> um, but, but it really yeah, is brilliant. And yeah. it's funny because, like, I, it might be because of my age where time-wise I kind of just missed him. When right. he was at his peak, yeah, you know, but like then when I think about it, and when I was preparing for this episode, he has, I mean, minimum three of the greatest bits of all time in totally. those two specials. Yes, a hundred percent. And like he just was so smart. I don't even know how much of you know of doing this, like uh, him, uh, not you, but like uh, yeah. where it's like he like just knew like um, like even in Bring the Pain, where he's like, I'm not saying I would have killed her, but I understand. Like I understand that <laughs> phrase. <laughs> Like, it's just like, it's like, man, everyone just knows that phrase. Um, And like, uh, yeah, we were talking earlier about Bring the Pain. Yeah, Bring the Pain, you could still see he was like, he was shedding, like being a young comic where you're just kind of talking about, you know, you're funny, but you're not really talking about anything. Like, he is like, he's like a full bit about pork and like crack where you're like, yeah, you're not going to do that on Breaking and Black. And if you do, there's going to be like real things behind it right well that pretty much wraps up uh chris rock from snl the bigger and blacker um and on it like i don't know i some of his stand-up obviously he never did anything as good as those two specials but i do think there is some stuff like in tambourine that i genuinely found funny and honest and like the way he spoke about his divorce like i kind of couldn't believe it i was like wow that's maybe the most honest i've seen a guy on stage Because he's talking about something that obviously, like, hurt his family life. You know, not just totally. his, his persona or whatever. Yeah, and it was such a unique... Um, uh, he was being so honest, and it was such a unique way that, like, uh, a relationship would go sour when he kind of talked about his, like, porn addiction, which was, like... I, that was fascinating to hear, just as, like, I don't think I've ever... I don't think I've ever heard that from a friend, let alone right, right. Chris Rock. You know? Right. All right, Anthony. Well, thank you very much for coming on, man. Uh, you can sure, see yeah. Anthony in. Uh, Justin said you're going to be in Foxborough as well. Do you know about oh, this? Yeah, so I'm at January. I, I forgot January 28th and 29th. I'm going to be doing. Uh, uh, I'll be at the comedy scene in Foxborough. Those will just be stand-up sets. So if you're someone who's like, I don't feel like being moved. I just want to <laughs> laugh. <laughs> Come out to those shows. Okay, cool. Yeah, so you have an option. You can see Anthony exactly. at Laugh Boston. Work on his one-man show, which I would recommend. Uh, I would recommend checking out both. Because they're, sure. I mean, they're not that far. If you're living around like where I am, you can go see both. It's very easy. So uh, check out Anthony in Foxborough and Laugh Boston, uh, end of January, and uh, make sure you follow him on social media and everything. Anthony, thanks so much for coming on, man. Dude, great talk to you, Mike. All right, buddy. We'll see you I next know. time on Why You Laugh. <laughs>